had to be you. Is that men and women can't be friends because the sex part always gets in the way. I'm in love with Could you. make me be true. Snap out of it. Could make me be true. Magnificence that comes out of your eyes and your voice and the way you stand there and the way you walk. You're lit from within, Tracy. It had to be you, wonderful you. It had to be you. Hello, romantics. Welcome to It Had to Be You, the Talk Film Society podcast that's all about falling in love on the big screen. I'm your host, Manish Mather, and each episode I'll be chatting with a guest about one of their favorite romantic comedies from classics to modern hits. My guest today is Ben Miller, contributor to the film experience and owner of Ice Cream for Freaks. How's it going? Doing well, sir. sir. How are you doing today? Yeah, doing well. Excited to have you on the podcast and to talk about this movie, which uh, you and I both like a lot. Uh, would you like to introduce the film for us today? Yes, this is uh, Time Me Up, Time Me Down. This is the uh, 1989 Spanish dark romantic comedy film directed by Pedro Amadovar, uh, starring Antonio Banderas and Victoria Abril. Um, kind of. It, it was an inconventional choice, obviously, for a romantic comedy, but uh, it's one of the reasons I like it so much. It's not exactly a straightforward movie you would think of as being a romantic comedy, but it's, uh, it's one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. Same here. Um, you know, uh, anyone who follows me on Twitter knows I'm a huge Amadovar guy. He's like my probably my number one favorite filmmaker, or at least in the top top three. Um, so when you suggested the movie, I was like, yeah, that sounds I mean, I've been wanting to cover this movie for a very long time um, since I started the podcast and was just kind of like waiting for you know, someone to, to bring it up. <laughs> yeah. um, and sure. uh, so I'm really glad that you did. Um, when was the first time you saw the film and what was your reaction? Well, so I kind of have an interesting history with this. So I lived overseas and for a while, there were only two real movie channels. There was a very mainstream movie channel and you always get that, you know, the blockbuster hits. But there would also be a different movie channel that would occasionally show two types of movies. They'd either show the same weird rotating movies, uh, action movies, um, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and U.S. Marshals for some reason. I have seen U.S. Marshals probably 50 <laughs> times just because it was on TV so often. Yeah. But in addition to that, the channel would also show random uh, foreign films. And at the time, I was only 14 or 15. So whenever I see a trailer for Pele the Conqueror, I didn't really care much about trying to make sure that I was awake during the Panther the Conqueror's on. Right, right. But when, when I saw the trailer for Time Me Up, Time Me Down, as a 14, 15 hormonal young man, I was like, okay, this might be up my alley. And I was looking more along the lines of uh, to be titillated. And I think I started watching it and I was like 15 minutes in. I'm like, okay, man, maybe I'm. You know, it's all in Spanish, and I kind of, I, I noted out and didn't even, didn't even let myself get to any parts where it could have been titillated, essentially. Right. <laughs> so then later in life, um, the f- first true Almodovar movie I ever saw was Will Bear. Uh, mm-hmm. I saw it in theaters. And I saw it in my early days of trying to be an Oscar contender <laughs> whenever, uh, whenever Penelope Cruz got nominated. So I went and watched it, and I watched the whole movie, and probably 20 minutes in, right after the, right after the. Uh, the man dies in the first 20 minutes. I was like, okay, this is something way different. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, so I kind of got sunk into Elmodovar from there. Um, and I kind of dove in on the highlights and um, discovered this and really took to it. And um, it, it's, it's exactly what I wanted from a movie of his. Um, I, I feel like it's way different than a lot of his different movies. Like it's uh the inherent darkness in his films is not really as prevalent in this, even though it is not exactly a beacon of light the whole time. But uh, I, I feel like it's much lighter than a lot of his other movies, and it's one of the ones. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I, for me, I'm trying to remember when I first saw this movie. I think it was. Um, yeah, I think definitely like after I saw Volver, that was kind of a, you know, that I think Talk to Her and Volver both for me were entry points. Um, actually, I remember uh, 
watching you talk to her in like a Spanish class in high school um, as part mm-hmm. of our like, you know, learning to like hear Spanish, you know, spoken by, you know, native speakers. Native um, speakers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and Volver came after that because, you know, talk to her is such a transfixing film that I was like, I just gotta, mm-hmm. you know, I gotta see um, what else this guy's got going on and stuff. Um, and yeah, I think I saw this movie in college and had a similar experience of just like, um, you know, it's so dark. It's so, it's like dark thematically, but it's so bright and colorful. It like, you know, it looks mm-hmm. like a romantic comedy in a lot of ways. Um, the actors are giving very like, kind of like interesting, bright performances. Um, but mm-hmm. You know, definitely this movie, I mean, you know, I think of all of Almodovar's movies, I think this one is the one that gets closest to a, you know, conventional romantic comedy. um, Because I think it kind of has the like, um, to me, it, it, it takes the like, you know, stalker, you know, undertones of many romantic comedies and makes it like literal. Um, yes. which I yeah. really like. I think that's really, I think it's really interesting uh, because in some ways we're both rooting for this romance to happen, but we're also kind of shocked and repulsed by it. Um, and I like, oh, absolutely. Mention, you know, um, but yeah. So, I mean, what is it about this film that has really stuck with you over the years? Well, it's, it's funny. There's, when I, when I rewatched it in preparation for this, I was watching it and I'm probably 15 minutes in. And a lot of the first part of the film is, is kind of focuses on Banderas and how it gets in, in into uh, Abril's kind of atmosphere. Yeah. And he, his, his particular brand of whatever the, the Banderas experience is employed so perfectly in this film because this film only works with him at the, at the center of it. And yeah. even though I, even, even though I think Avril does a better job, Banderas does such a good job of being crazy and romantic and charming and dangerous from moment to moment. Mm-hmm. Like for example, the, 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 the scene where she is tied up and they're going to sleep next to each other. And she tries to get the keys off of his belt and he's kind of being playful and being very nice and being very gentle whenever he's untying the wrist. And then he's, he's laying down. And then whenever he tries to get her keys, he catches her turns on his side. And he has this incredibly insane look in his eyes. Like he's about to murder her. And yeah. this is, this is all in a five second span and the Banderas dynamic and how they were somehow able to balance to make that character work. And you actually cheering for that character. Before Antonio Banderas was Antonio Banderas. This is uh, five years before Interview with a Vampire. So nobody really knows who he is. So um, the fact that they found him, and well, I mean, Amadovar had been working with him for a long time. I mean, the fact that his portrayal in this film is the thing that makes it work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, Antonio Banderas, like, you know, I kind of grew up with him, you know, in Zorro and. You know, mm. uh, I you know I hadn't seen an interview with a vampire, but um, you know when I when I was younger, but like yeah, like the Zorro movies and you know uh, Desperado, Philadelphia, like you know he was always the very much you know kind of like dashing you know Latin lover mm-hmm. stereotype. You know when he sure. came to America, like that was kind of you know his pigeonholed in that because of you know his 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 looks and his accent and just his overall charm and you know, going back through, um, you know, going back to his work in the 80s with Almodovar from, you know, <laughs> Labyrinth of Passions through this movie, just um, the depths of his, you know, performances. And, you know, of course, he gets to show that off again with Pain and Glory and Skin I Live In. Um, uh, and I don't even think any his, any of his American work gets even close to the stuff he does with Almodovar. Um, Similar to Penelope. Oh, Cruz, I agree, one hundred percent. Similar to Penelope Cruz, Absolutely. you know, where like, you know, she's a she's also someone that gets you know kind of thrown into the like sex pot, you know, seductive character, and you know when she's working with Almodovar, they just get each all three of them just kind of get each other. Um, and, yeah, I mean, if you think about it, uh, uh, what 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 performance 
like if you go through the list of okay your favorite Antonio Banderas performances, yeah. if you name a top five, how many of those are non Armador? I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I couldn't even tell you five that I really find totally memorable. I think Philadelphia for sure. Um, but even then that's a very like small supporting role. I mean, he's very good in the film, you know, interview the vampire just brought it with like, you know, it's there. Um, but you know, I, to, he can only really get to these depths and to be challenged. I agree in this way through it with Almodovar and definitely in time, you up, time, you down. Um, it's, um, you know, like, you know, as you're saying, he's like dangerous, he's sexy, he's charismatic. He's also like fumbling a little, you know, he's not a great capture. Yeah. You know, he's like, you know, there's a scene with Rossi De Palma where he tries to, you know, I don't steal money from her or something. And yeah. uh, she like beats him up and, you know, he's so soft. You know, like he's playing yeah. around in the dressing room and he, yeah. And so, but he's also, I mean, he's very dangerous because like, you know, um, you know, there's that whole thing of like, you know, women are always afraid that men will kill them if they, you know, do something wrong, you know? And I think that this movie gets to that where it's like, this guy could be like the seemingly most harmless guy, but he's still in a position where he could technically kill her at any moment if, you know, if and he threatens to, yeah. Yeah. And threatens to Frank frequently and very uh, often the threat is I'm going to kill you. But whenever he does say, I'm going to kill you, he immediately says, then I'm going to kill myself. It's never, yeah. it's never, I'm just going to kill you and run away. I'm going to kill you. Then I'm going to kill myself. And it's yeah. always a in tandem thing. It's not, it's not a selfless. It's not a selfless. I'm going to kill you. If you do this, um, this is we're going together, and this is going to happen whether you like it or not. The uh, the interesting part of it to me is kind of the romantic com- comedy narrative, like the cliche of it is almost backwards. Yeah. So normally, like there would be a guy has a secret, and there's a woman he's in love with, and they get together, and they fall in love, and as the movie goes along, eventually that secret is revealed, and they break up for a short time, and then at the end, will they come to come back together because of that? Well, this, this subverts all that, and the secret is laid right out front, right off of that, as soon as they meet. And it's yeah. immediately being like, yep, the bat is out there. You're going to love me from now on. And she's like, no, I'm not. And turns out that she does. So um, it, that was another thing that always really drew me to it. It's not, it, it's, it's not a traditional romantic comedy. Yeah, not at all. And um i feel like in some ways it pokes whole or pokes fun at traditional romantic comedies by doing the reverse as you say and also you know um their courtship has all the elements of a conventional romantic comedy except it's made into this like weird satirical um dark kind of like reprehensible thing and you know i mean i think you know, uh, Almodovar is, of course, a student of film. You know, his references are always mm. in his movies, and he's very—he's always been very vocal about his uh, influences and his inspirations. I, I think he's—I sim- I like to think he's similar to Tarantino in that way, in that, like, you know, he's always mm. thinking about the past. And I think that all of this, you know, all the all the beats in this romantic comedy are twisted, but in a way that's very intentional, intentionally kind of looking at you know, problematic romantic tropes and, you know, kind sure. of more like, t- I mean, that's, that's my take on it. I know some people don't really buy it that it's as satirical as I make it out to be. Um, but I think there's definitely, um, there's definitely a way to explore that. And um, because, you know, I no straight man ever really comes across perfectly in any Almodovar movie. And I don't know. No, exception. no. <laughs> You know, he's very I mean, even, even, even on, even on some other films, like I think of, uh, I, I think of women on the verge of a nervous breakdown, which yeah. specifically Banderas, yeah. every man in that movie is just terrible. Right. And Banderas is the best one of them. But mm-hmm. the second he gets the chance, he cheats on the sleeping fiance, right, the right. set, the absolute first possible opportunity, even though he's young and cute, handsome Antonio Banderas. But the second he did, he's all over this lady he's barely met groping her and all this kind of stuff so yeah, yeah exactly there's never been a, that, that's a 
that's a good way to put it. There's never been a there's never been a good straight man in a uh, in an Almodovar movie. I like that. I like that thought. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and I mean, I, I do want to talk about um, Marina, played by Victoria Abril, a lot because yes. every time I watch this movie, I've Please. seen this movie probably like three, four, maybe five times. I've seen this movie a lot, um, and every time <laughs> I get a different read on her character, and I, she's. Um, yeah, I think she's absolutely fascinating. What's your, you know, what are your thoughts on on, on her as the, you know the sort of romantic lead, leading lady, cap, you know, captive character? She's she's so fascinating just because she has so much history before the film even starts. Yeah, like she comes into this, and we learn all secondhand uh, through other people's conversations. Like she apparently was a porn star. She was addicted to all sorts of drugs and had a lot of problems. And then she's now a porn star trying to make it good in film that she never really wanted to do, but is kind of put into this situation by a filmmaker who kind of had this brainchild of putting a porn actress in this film. Yeah. And then she comes in there and it's, it's really interesting casting because like Apple to myself, I had no real recollection of her, before really I, I don't really have much of anything besides this film um i've never seen high heels so i don't have any uh any perspective on her and other Amador films but in this film she is so interesting and viewed through today's lens is such an interesting uh person uh, just as a just as a uh just visually she looks like a mix between rosanna arquette and Ana de armas yeah. But if, if Juliet, but if if Juliet Binoche was touched in there for good measure, it, it's yeah. it's all these all these bright eyed, um, kind of it's fanciful, but at the same time very grounded and can be. Uh, it, it the character is one of the more interesting characters I've ever seen in a uh, in a romantic comedy, just because she goes through all these emotions and never, never really expresses anything outwardly. It's not all repressed. All her talk to is, is mostly to Ricky or her, uh, her sister Lola. And even that it's not like, it's not a ton of stuff. Everything we kind of get on her is on through the veil of other people. Yeah. Um, but man, she is so, so good in this movie. I, 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 I think she's better than Banderas. Not that he's bad, but I think her performance is so good. Totally agree. Um, I think, yeah. I mean, I love what you say about her having this whole history. I mean, her the what what her life was like before this movie starts could almost be its own movie. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. because she has like she's been through a lot. You know, and uh, uh, but what what I love is that you know I think in in an American movie this character would be. Some like punished somehow, or some kind of like, yeah. somewhat like in undignified, just because she's you know quote unquote a bad woman, you know, drug addict, mm. porn star, you know, all this, and you know, this would be her like salvation or something. But it, it's but but I I feel like her salvation already happens, you know, because she's already. You know, I mean, yeah, she's off drugs at least. Um, and whether yes, or not she yeah. wants to go straight as an actor or not, you know, she's still working in a quote unquote legitimate field, even though this movie looks terrible, but in a kind of fun way. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. um, and she's still being exploited by a director who's like very much very sexually aggressive with her, um, but also protective of her. It's very strange, it's very complicated. Uh, and so, and so uh, rather than be this sort of undignified woman who needs saving, she's actually this wholly, you know, fully realized woman, fully, you know, totally uh, three-dimensional with agency, but she withholds so much. Victoria Brielle as an actress hold, withholds so much from the audience that you never really mm -hmm. quite know, like, whether what she is she lying to Ricky? Is she lying to herself? Is she lying to us? We don't know, right? She's always kind of keeping her, her cards kind of close to the chest. And yeah, uh, and yeah, and, and one of the scenes that I find the most fascinating is the famous scuba dive scene where yeah. the scuba divers in the bathtub. Yeah, and 
you know, you know, it's it, it garners so much controversy because it's like, oh, it's like, oh, what's going on down there? And I watched it this time, and I, I I'm trying to remember, like, oh yeah, the big controversy with it. And I watched it and go, this is so nothing. Like, yeah. she doesn't do anything with it. It's more of a, it's kind of like, haha, this is kind of a fun thing that's happening. I, she's not, she's not doing anything to pleasure herself. It's kind of more right. like a, haha, it happens for five seconds. She puts it onto her chest. It still patters away and she gets out of the bathtub. The entire yeah. thing is kind of a, just a playful aside of yeah. how she acts. Not, it's not something that this is the defining characteristic of her. It's just kind of a small, something that Amadovar puts on there. The most interesting part of it is it's completely irrelevant to the rest of it. Yeah. Like it absolutely does not have to be in there, but it, I kind of enjoy it being in there just because, okay, this kind of gives you an idea of what this woman is like at this point of her life. She seems relaxed. She seems kind of silly. She seems okay with everything. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, because like, again, she's so, I think the reason why we're so drawn to her over instead of, you know, I think because like, she seems like so much more in control of her own life, even though she's a captive, right? Mm. But like, even before that, like, she kind of had a handle on her life. Like she's, you know, mature, she's an adult. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Ricky is mm -hmm. very much boy um, in so many ways. And he's, he's putting on the act of being this very aggressive captor, but, you know, in some ways, like I think about, well, he's kind of, she kind of has him, she has the power to kind of wrap him around her finger, you know, because yeah, he's so much like dopely in love with her that he's doing this stupid thing. And she never, she never quite yields that power except, well, she does in very, in a lot of really great ways. Um, like when they go to the pharmacist or, um, yeah, you know, or when she's kind of uh, caring, to, like tending to his wounds after he gets beat up. And like, mm -hmm. in some ways, like this is her just like trying to control him so that she can have an upper hand. And, and I think it's like, you never quite know when she wants to escape and when she wants to stay with him. You know, I don't think, I don't yeah. even think she knows, you know, I think, in some ways she, you know, it's like her mind is saying, well, I want to escape because this is wrong, but her heart or her body is saying, I want to stay with him. But, you know, but then it also could be reversed. You know, maybe I should stay with him because there's stability there and having a husband or, cool. you know, there's just like, you just don't know. Right. And the I, really I, interesting part of it. Yeah. The really, really interesting part of it is his, his line to her right at the beginning, kind of the summary of the film uh -huh. as far as, Ricky's mission statement. I'm 23 years old. I have 50,000 uh, pesetas. I'm alone in the world. I'll try to be a good husband to you and a good father to your children. And so the entire thing is the only thing I care about in the world is you. And outside of you, there's nothing else. Yeah. Well, Victoria, she doesn't have that. Uh, right. The, uh, yeah, Marina doesn't have that op option because there are people that depend on her. There's the director who's searching for her, her sister. Her mom obviously does care about her. There are people in her life that are aware of her and she is not alone. But at the same time, she can see that, as you said, does she want to do this? And her, the, my two favorite scene of, of Avril in the whole movie is later in the film, um, Ricky, Antonio Banderas' character, is trying to find a car so they can run away because they've been, yeah. she thinks they've been discovered by uh, Marina's sister. And Avril and her sister run go away. And following the escape, she's trying to break down the situation to her sister. And she admits that she's in love with him. And she is just so, like you said, so conflicted. And, hey, I was tied up. And this is crazy. This is a terrible situation. But, man, I'm in love with this guy. So what's going on here, huh? Like, and, and even on top of that, even further than that, it's, it, I had a very, uh, I had a flashback to Call Me By Your Name, the last scene in this film, when they're, all yeah. three of the characters are going off in the car, and uh, her sister is singing along to the radio, and, and Ricky is also singing along, having a grand old time. Well, if you, if you watch Marina the whole time, her face is wild with emotions. She yeah. can't decide how she wants to feel. Is yeah. she happy? Is she into a situation that she got way too deep into? Is she going to regret things? 
maybe she's happy again. No, maybe this is the wrong thing. I need to go to the police. There's, there's a thousand different emotions on her face. Yeah. And then them filled in. So yeah, yeah you yeah. never really know where she, where she ends up on. It. It's, you know, uh, yeah, that was, I mean, I definitely, I mean, I have a lot to say about that ending. Um, yeah. I, I liken it to, you know, the graduate. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I, maybe that's a little bit of a cliche, you know, with, and you know, I feel like any movie that kind of has this kind of ending, there was, everyone's like, it's a graduate ending, but like, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm positive Almodovar saw the graduate. Like I can I'll put money on that. Um, and, sure. but, you know, it's, it's interesting before I got on the call, I just, you know, pulled out the Wikipedia page for this movie just to refresh myself on the plot and so the making and whatever. Mm-hmm. And the way the Wikipedia entry says that she's crying with happiness, um, <laughs> all singing like a normal family. And I'm like, I, I was like, I, I mean, I'm, I was, when I read that, I was, well, I'm curious what Ben has to say about this. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I don't think I am. I think, you know, like you say, like her face has all these different conflicting emotions on it. I think she's having a, in some ways, I think she's having a nervous breakdown, <laughs> you know, I agree. Yeah, yeah, one, I, I, and, I, I, you know, she's like, I, I think there, I, yeah, this movie is called Time Me Up. Well, in Spanish, it's called Atame, which means time, timey, but the English title is yeah. Time Me Up, Time Me Down. And, you know, I think that's an, I think that's somewhat of a better title because, you know, you need the Time Me Down because it's all about this thing of like, you know, does she want to be, you know, does she want to be tied up or does yeah. she want to be tied down or does she even want to be tied down at all? You know, like, yeah, um, and I think that ending is like it's almost like she's realizing, wow, like I'm actually going to be tied down to this guy. And now that my sister approves of this, then there's really no way out because, you know, yeah. uh, in some ways she's she might not be you know restrained anymore, but she's still kind of captive. And um, yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Yeah, it's it, you. You essentially go into that is it's not cries with happiness; it's cries with a flood of emotions yeah. and the passion of the situation is really easy to dive into and be like, okay, well, this is a passionate thing. We're going to fall in love forever. Well, then you have to actually think of what that means. And once she started to think about what that means, then she kind of goes, is this what I want? And that's a really interesting way to end your film. And I really commend Almodovar for just trying it much less. It would have been so easy for them to, sing along and all, all four, all three of them are blasting the radio and going down the end. Everybody leaves with a really happy, with, with a smile on their face and go, everything worked out great for everybody, but you can't really say that it worked out great because you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I agree. I think it's a totally dynamic ending. It's unforgettable. Um, you know, I like, you know, Almodovar is famous for being such an extreme filmmaker, you know, with all the colors and the melodrama and whatever, but all the sex and stuff. But I think this ending is so restrained because, you know, this, the way that Abriel just captures the camera, you know, it's not a close-up mm-hmm. on her at all. You know, she's actually off to the side of the frame you know, Lola's Leon as her sister is in the middle of the frame. Um, yeah. But your eye just goes straight to Marina as she's having this total crisis and so conflicted about what is her future. Um, and, you know, one thing I love to think about with romantic comedies, especially ones that kind of have more of a high concept, you know, to be a little kind, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like ones that are like, I'm almost like, I wonder how this story is going to look when they tell their friends in, t- you know, 10 years how they met, you know, like, yeah, you know what I mean? And, and a lot they, of, they, comedies, they would have to make something up probably. Yeah. Right. Right. And a lot of romantic comedies kind of don't really think about that. They're just like, you know, we have this high concept, very silly or very ones that's like kind of, you know, more problematic or more toxic, whatever, but you know, you're, but you don't have to think about what that's going to, what the story is going to be like in 10 years. And I think, Amadovar is giving us this realization of like for Marina being like, I think I might actually have to get married to someone who threatened to kill me multiple times. And <laughs> I'm not even sure I consented to having sex with, you know, and the full, you know, yeah. full enthusiastic consent, you know? Um, yeah. And, and I'm kind of, and me as an audience member being like, well, could she ever consent to having sex with him? Could she consent to even marrying him? Because now again, she's trapped, you know? Um, sure. I mean, she's not trapped in the sense of like, I'm sure if she told her sister, hey, I actually don't want to marry him, I think the sister would support it. But 
in the moment and think she's yeah. thinking like, this might be my future. <laughs> and I don't know how to yeah. do that. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And, and the idea of consent is interesting because it's it obviously it's so on the nose of no, do not, you know, I'm tied up. This is what I'm doing. You're tying me up. I don't want to be tied up. And then it eventually kind of adjusts as the film goes along. And as Marina gets more comfortable with Ricky, she's like, okay, uh, you better tie me up this time. And this guy, and, or, or helping him out with the ties. And yeah. then whenever their, their, their eventual sex scene, um, it turns into like a triumph almost of, um, at, at, at the first point, obviously, like, I think it's important how it's actually framed mm-hmm. where Ricky is in control and he's on top and you're, you're viewing it from above. So, but it's, it's, it's splintered into five different ways. So it's kind of a weird view of how you're watching it. You're not seeing her face at all. You're seeing Ricky's back and her legs Yeah, and just this long shot for a long time. Then eventually it gets back to the bed and she's on top and she's in absolute control. She's telling him what to do, how right. to do it, everything about it. And then at that point, it seems like, okay, this is the point where things have completely turned and everything's going to be fine from here on out. And then uh, probably two scenes later, uh, Lola shows up and she immediately tries to get the hell out of there. So yeah. um, the, the consent the, the consent idea is a really interesting one because it's very, very complex. And I'm, I think I, I'm, I struggle to try to view this through a modern day narrative. And yeah. with, with the idea of this being 1989 and being Pedro Almodovar, I just kind of look at it like that. I, I can't view at it as, well, right. you know, right. consent and how things will go and all these kind of things. I don't even look at it like that because I think if you do, you get down a rabbit hole and you eventually just start to hate it. Right. But if you right. view it from the, yeah, if you, if you view it from the view of how everything ends up, it's a lot more interesting whenever she ends up being conflicted. So. Yeah. I mean, I, just, I totally, I totally agree. Um, you know, I, I give a lot of leeway to Amadovar with stuff like this, because I think all of his movies yes. deal with this topic. And I think he, um, you know, I don't know what, you know, what it was like when he was kind of coming of age, you know, during the mm-hmm. 70s and 80s in Spain. I don't even know what, you know, what the conversations are like in Spain now. So, you know, I don't yeah. want to put, you know, sort of American, you know, politics and, you know, you know, all that sure. stuff onto this because I just, I don't know what the culture is like. I mean, I can presume it's similar, you know, they're having the same conversations about consent and whatever. Um, sure. but I, you know, I don't, I don't want to assume that. And I also think that Almodovar is always thinking about these things, you know, whether it's in this movie or Volver or the skin I live in, or, you know, even in women on the verge of nervous breakdown or high heel. I mean, all mm-hmm. these things, there's always an issue of like, not issue, but there's always a theme of like body autonomy, consent, you know, sexuality, yeah. you know? So I think he's always thinking about these things. So I'm like, you know, I don't not, like, nothing he's doing i don't think is coming from a place of just not thinking it through you know i think he's always thinking yes. about these things and you know and i when when i look at more like american conventional romantic comedies where we you know um you know there's like a, like a, a really popular one that kind of comes up a lot in these conversations something like you've got mail you know a movie i would like i've yes. heard on this podcast uh with my friend maxwell um Mm -hmm. and but that always gets kind of talked about as like you know is this a stalker movie you know is this problematic you know whatever and i think you know i think that um there's always a question of like do these conventional romantic comedies fall into these problematic tropes by accident because you know they're just not thinking about it and that could be true. It could not true. I don't know. But for sure, Almodovar, I know he's thinking about it because it's, it's in all of his movies in some form. Yeah. Um, he's too intelligent of a filmmaker to be missing these things. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. And now, that being said, this is one of the few films of his that doesn't directly deal with rape in some way. Yeah. Like, his films are very sexually forward, but this film, when it comes to rape, is actually very, very negative. See, one of the more interesting parts to me was whenever um, 
there's a scene where Marina falls asleep and she's tied up and Ricky decides to untie part of her to make her more comfortable. And he is very, very delicate around her crotch specifically because it's a matter of not wanting to do anything before she's ready. And there's a, and and there's the famous scene whenever he's trying to subdue her and trying to get to essentially where we want to get to where he wants to get to. And she says, you want me, you want to do this, right? Get it over with. And said, relax, we'll do it when the time comes. Like, yeah, he, he is not, he's incredibly patient with it. And the allow him being patient is almost being like, well, I'm not going to just stoop to this level. I'm not a bad guy. And that leads to another, that leads to another side of you being on Ricky's side. He doesn't, he's not going to take advantage He's not going to do the thing that you expect him to do. Just because he's crazy doesn't mean he's that crazy. He's not that kind of crazy. Yeah. So it's yeah. an interesting, it, yeah. I know. I, I, I agree. And I think, um, you know, of this, I think this movie would be very, it would be cheapened if, you know, mm. she was being, you know, assaulted in any, or if like the sex were like a kind of a begrudging, you know, consent. I think it would it would cheapen the, the yeah. dynamic because it would make it too simple. Um, and yeah, I think that, he's very on board with the sex. Yeah, and that you know that's sort of you know a part of the reason why she feels so drawn to him is because he's not this sort of like brutish guy who's just going to take her mm-hmm. when he wants. But then I also I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not. I don't want to praise a guy for not raping a woman. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But, but the, again, I, 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 ask, I genuinely believe that Almodovar wants us to have that 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 thinking of like, oh wow, yeah. he's such a sweet guy because he won't touch her until she, she's ready for it. And I think again, I think he want. Uh, my assumption, I guess, is that he's intending for us to think that and then be horrified by that we're thinking that. You know. Um, and that's yeah, another yeah. way that he's sort of playing with these more conventional, you know, I, I keep saying, you know, American, um, but I, I don't know what sort of conventional romantic comedies are like in Spain. So maybe they're similar again. I don't know. But um, considering he have, how much he is very much, you know, s- s- uh, familiar with Hollywood, I'm sure he's thinking about Hollywood as well. Um, and sort of thinking about like all the ways in which we, overpraise male characters for you know being like halfway decent you know yeah yeah the 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 lack of the lack of being a monster is a characteristic in itself yeah exactly you know it's 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 funny if you look at the the comedy of the romantic comedy side almost everything funny that happens in this movie has nothing to do with the two main characters yeah (laughs) that's really great pretty much pretty pretty much everything uh lola who's uh, Marina's sister, uh, Lola Leon, is uh, pretty much everything she does is hilarious. Yeah. Um, every time she says a line, uh, talking whenever, whenever she discovers uh, Marina being uh, tied up by Ricky, uh, she says, like, you like being tied? It's like, it's like, you're not that kinky. There's no way this is how, how, yeah, this is, yeah. how it's going like this. And then um, pretty much everything with the motorized wheelchair makes me laugh. <laughs> um, I, it's just, there, there's no part of that that is not hilarious to me. But uh, yeah, all, all the all the comedy is more kind of situational screwball, and yeah. all the stuff that happens between them two is pretty straightforward. Yeah, totally. Um, I, you know, the the supporting characters around in this movie are so engaging, like the filmmaker Lola, even like Rossi De Palma. You know, like I love seeing her mm, in all the yeah. movies because like her face is just so unique. Like she's all teeth. Um, and I'm going to yeah. work that so well without like making fun of her, but just like, she just has good presence, you know? And um, yeah, I, I, I agree. And I, I like that. Um, in some ways, I, I feel like it's kind of keeping this movie from becoming so dark and so horrifying because Dork. everything is so Dork. extreme on the outside that and on the inside, it's almost normal what they're going through. Um, yeah. yeah I, I really like uh I really like Francisca uh, Caballero as Marina's mother. Mm. She calls, she calls them that one scene just to tell her to kind of relay a message to Lola. And she's so wonderfully paternal. She's maternal. She's making, she's making dinner. She's yelling at her niece, telling her she's calling the, the niece. Everything she says about the niece is hilarious. She's saying, obviously oh, this, this girl is terrible. She, she, the girl's right there. She's not saying that 
uh, with her back turned. Right, this girl is yeah. terrible. So she's going to grow up to be nobody. And it's <laughs> and at the same time, she's making dinner. She won't let Marina get off the phone just because she wants to tell her I love you and you're doing a great job with staying clean. Yeah. And so supportive and wonderful. Now, I will kind of push back on the one thing I don't like about this movie, and that's the director. I There's so much about him that I don't like. And it's not even necessarily that it's a character you're not supposed to like. I just don't know what's going on. Like, yeah. there are, it's, it's, it's a subplot to kind of keep another person around who wants Marina in their orbit. But besides that, I mean, the, the scene where he's watching her pornography and his wife comes in, it's just it's like, that's, I think that's the last time we see him on the film. And then he just never shows up again. It's kind of odd to me. I'm not entirely sure. What exactly is going on there? Yeah, have a theory on that? No, I don't think so. Not, I think, I don't think so. Beyond just a, maybe like a filmmaking satire type thing, where Almodovar sure. sort of making fun of not himself. I don't think he's making fun of himself, but just like I agree, uh, sort of like horny director cliche. I guess. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and just uh, yeah, because you know it's it's so funny. Every time I watch this movie, I I remember how extensive sort of this like opening part is. You know, like yeah, um, I feel like it takes a while for Ricky and Marina to get into their situation. Um, yeah, and there's yeah. a lot. There's extended scenes in on the movie set, which are very I think entertaining and interesting. But I'm also like you know, well, I know the premise of the movie I'm watching and with, yeah. you know, like, I'm not surprised that you would turn this off not feeling titillated by it because, like, <laughs> you know, yeah, it sure. promises to be a very sexy movie. It is a very sexy movie, but it Absolutely. takes, like, forever to get there. <laughs> and this movie is long, too, right? Like, you know, the previous movie that Almodovar did is Women on the, Women on the Verge of Nervous Breakdown, which is barely an hour and a half, and that movie could be longer. Yeah, you, know, you want to be in that movie yeah. longer. But this movie, I think, like, it takes so long to get to where it's going. And then once, you know, once Marina and Ricky are together, then it flies by. But I totally Absolutely. agree that there's a lot of, like, fat to the opening, I don't know, half hour or so of the movie. Not that, again, yeah. I'm not complaining about it because, like, it's, it's interesting. But also, I'm yes. like, you know, no one's getting tied up in a movie called Time Me Up, Time Me Down <laughs> for a very long time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I agree. And, and, it's funny because whenever I first saw this, but I remember the first time watching this movie and I watched the director and he's this super horny guy in this wheelchair. And I was thinking, okay, well, this is the Alan Dovar stand in. He's kind of yeah. making fun of himself. And then it took five minutes longer. I'm like, no, this is not the Alan Dovar stand in. Yeah, Just yeah. because he's, he's so obviously straight and he's so obviously uh, lust after all these women. It's like, okay, well, I guess he's probably saying something about other directors. Because no filmmaker is hornier than Pedro Almodovar. Nobody. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, in their films. And, and it's, it's always a playful. It's always a playful horny. It's never, yeah. it's like, oh, you, you scamp. I can't believe you did those type of things. It's, um, I think he, he was one of the many directors who talked about Marvel movies. And he said, I have no interest in them because they don't have sex. I mean, so, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, he's not wrong. But at the same time, uh, it, it's the kind of thing. It's the kind of thing that happens in this movie. And even even rewatching it, I was thinking, how did I not stick with this movie as a kid? Because she she decides to take her panties off in like the first five minutes of this movie. I don't know what for no reason. Yeah. And and so and it, it, there's nothing. There's no movie or anything along those lines. But it's just yeah. yeah it's, it's it's always a slight dynamic whenever you see things like that. And and. And knowing a director like Amal Dovar, who, who puts, who, like you said, is so intelligent and you think there's no way he did this accident. So you always look for things. Why, what, he made this choice for a reason. Why did he make this choice? Totally, yeah, totally agree. Um, actually, you know, I, I did want to talk a little about the controversy around this movie when it came out. Mm. Um, yes. Uh, it received, it was... I didn't know this um, until I had read about it, but apparently it was like instrumental in the creation of the NC-17 rating. Um, and I think yes. it's because it received an X rating and I think people thought that it was like pornographic. 
Um, and apparently Miramax took it to court. Yeah. Like they said, they said, this is not pornographic. This is art. And, yeah. um, it, it, it was apparently, uh, unfortunately it was, uh, I believe it was a big Weinstein push that, yeah. <laughs> uh, that they decided, they decided, they decided that this was not just, it, it wasn't smut and it needed to be an art, uh, art yeah. aspect to it. Uh, apparently this film can report with portrait of the serial killer and the cook, the, weast, uh, the thief, the wife and her lover. Uh, were the yeah. were the three big films to push for NC seventeen? It's the uh, it's the Temple of Doom for the NC seventeen rating, right? Yeah, um, and I you know I think that's really interesting um, that that was happening in America because um, you know I think uh, our Hollywood system is very uh, puritanical. So something that's a very kind of uh, risque and complicated in terms of sexuality and consent and eroticism and sort of all those, uh, all those sort of thematic heaviness of, uh, in this movie, I think would totally fly over the heads of Americans who are just like, I mean, it's very similar to you. I watched, I've watched a lot of Almanora movies being like, these movies are very sexy, you know, I want to see sort of the, the lurid stories and stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, when I was like, you know, in high school and early college, I was very much like, you know, watching Matador because I heard there was like good sex scenes and, or like bad education, of course, <laughs> you know? And yeah. as I got older, I'm like, wow, these movies are actually very intense. And, the, you know, it's not just sexy for the sake of being sexy. I mean, sex is a theme and a very interesting theme. Um, so I can totally see that happening. And also I think this movie was uh, lambasted by feminist groups for sort of the Stockholm syndrome you know, sure. narrative. And, you know, it's so funny, Beauty and the Beast comes out, you know, a year or two later. And, you know, that's, of course, um, you know, very infamous for being sort of a, a Stockholm syndrome romance as well. I don't know if I believe that for Beauty and the Beast. Uh, but that's definitely a, a take that I've heard many times and that is supported by lots of criticism of the film. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that, like, uh, I, you know, I would never begrudge anyone who was turned off by this movie because of that, because, you know, mm-hmm. it, it can be triggering, I guess. Um, sure. And also plays into, it plays into sort of like the, like the worst aspects of that narrative, you know, like, of course, but also I think does it in a way that's kind of intelligent and winking and a little knowing, but, you know, of course someone that has a problem with the movie as a concept, that's their right and privilege. And, you know, I won't ever tell someone they're wrong for thinking that way. Um, Yeah. It's when I look at it, I look at the, when I hear somebody say, give it a Stockholm syndrome uh, as a negative, I, I will, I won't deny that. I won't deny their thought process. Like, yeah, if somebody comes forward and says, "Time me up, time me down" is smut. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. What movie you're yeah, watching? Right. I uh, like watching it again. There is nothing vividly lurid or or, or or gross. Like, I can't. I still to this day do not know why it's in season pink. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it it shows it shows a the sex scene is probably five minutes long but it's completely consensual. It's no big deal. And you don't really see a whole met that there's no, uh, there's no penetration, no, uh, no below the waist nudity. Yeah. And then the, obviously the scuba diving scene is the problem. And that is so small and insignificant that it just gets your, 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 your you know, it, it's like you said, puritanical. It's, it's ridiculous that that is what, made it go over the top yeah. and I, whenever I saw it again, I see it like, I, I wrote an article a few, uh, a few weeks ago about John Waters, a dirty shame. Mm. And it was the first NC 17 film I had ever seen. And going into it, I knew it was NC 17. So I was ready for anything. And I watched it and I watched the whole thing. And I'm like, I don't see what's going on here that makes it so such a mark of death yeah like, even yeah it, this is not this is not something that bad that makes it, it, it this doesn't this isn't that warranted and it, the, you know all the all the stuff in dirty shame is silly and ridiculous and 
in this, this is a this is a romantic comedy. It's a little dark, all yeah. kind of stuff. But that's not what made this. There's nothing vivid. There's there's the violence is very very little. It's it's PG thirteen violence at best. There's very there's a little bit of cursing, nothing crazy. A uh, little bit of drug use, nothing crazy as well. It would be a light R without the sex scene. But yeah, I mean, it, I, it, there's. Yeah, no, I mean, I totally agree with you. And I, I think the problem that I have with the MPAA, uh, especially, is that, especially when it comes to sex, is that it seems to think that, like, have they, I feel like they have a checklist of things that I'm like, okay, yeah. this movie contains this, this, and this. That means it gets this rating. Um, yep. But without understanding sort of the context and the nuance and the, um, you know, the, the thematic elements. I mean, the sex scene is mm-hmm. very steamy but thematically also yes. very resonant to the film and you need it yes. and it moves the story forward and changes the dynamics completely that to cut it out or to uh restrict the movie because of it doesn't make any sense because um that's you know it's the centerpiece of the movie i think it almost happens halfway through and it completely reverses everything you're kind of thinking about with this movie um so yeah, yeah. i mean i I agree with you. I think, I mean, I think the rating system is, you know, again, puritanical. It makes no sense anymore. It doesn't account for any kind of subtlety. Uh, but, and um, it's ridiculously misogynist as well. Oh, I sure, remember sure. the, the, the idea I always thought of when it comes to, when, when it comes to the MPA and how ridiculous they are, I look at a movie like Blue Valentine mm-hmm. where um, it obviously got that ridiculous since he's had team rating. And this is the same thing. Like I knew it was NC-17. I'm like, okay, here we go. And getting into it. And there's like, there's going to be some wild stuff. And then you have that incredibly sad, lengthy scene where Ryan Gosling goes down on Michelle Williams. And that's pretty much it. And it's not that big of a deal. And you don't really see all that much nudity. And you're like, I don't, nobody's titillated by this. This is definitely not something that anybody is working themselves out with. But at the same time, in 2011, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo comes out. There are multiple rape scenes. There are multiple, there are multiple consensual sex scenes that are very vivid. And Uh, there's a lot of crazy stuff happening. There's some, there's really bad violence. And that never sniffed in NC-17. It was just R from the jump, just because... It's a big yeah. pull released by David Fincher. They're not going to. They're not going to give that an NC seventeen. Right, where a Derek right. C. in France film is going to be NC seventeen as a as a throw off because the man is going down on the woman and not vice versa. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's it's so yeah. It, there's so many double standards with it. It's so misogynist and sexist and you know queer phobic as well. Um, oh sure yeah i mean that's a whole different conversation uh bad education <laughs> being a great example of a yeah, film that was in exactly. and that was a movie definitely i watched that being like i you know you know it's, it's so funny when you know these reputations of these movies kind of precede them um yeah. and you know definitely bad education and that was like after i had seen youtube mama tambien which is a very mm. sexy movie and very uh graphic uh especially for yes. my you know 14 year old eyes um and, <laughs> you know the whole gail garcia bernal connection i was like okay this movie nc17 you know gail garcia bernal can't wait to watch it and mm. again bad education is very sexy in a lot of ways but it's also like it's not just sex it's not pornographic definitely not i mean it's hardly any nudity it's all mm. a lot of suggestion and looks and glances yeah. and stuff but um, yeah, I mean, it, it's so, it's so, um, it's so outdated, the system that we have here. Um, yeah. And uh, it's unfortunate that, you know, a movie like Time Me Up, Time Me Down, which plays with all these themes of consent and autonomy and sexuality, they kind of get lumped into, um, you know, just being all about the sex in ways that yeah. aren't productive for the film or helpful for the film. Yeah, so, I, and and uh, I've been watching I've been watching a lot of pre-code 
uh, movies from the 30s. Mm. And occasionally you'll see things you're like, wow, I can't, can't believe they got away with that in 1931. Well, the reason they got away with it is because they didn't have the Hayes Code in place yet and they were trying to put it together. And I look at this and I look at things like that and I wonder how many filmmakers have been stifled by the potential of these rating systems and what, yeah. what limits they could achieve if they didn't have to worry about yeah totally absolutely um yeah and thankful that you know Almodovar makes his movies outside of the u.s system so he can pretty much mm-hmm. do whatever he wants um yep. especially now uh in this era of his career um absolutely. do you have any final thoughts on time me up time me down uh not really i i i I'm glad you mentioned about the floral patterns because I had that as one of my notes here. Uh, nobody loves a floral pattern dress more than a little bit. Yeah. And just, just a, just a quick aside, because this, uh, this film features a, uh, a running joke of mine that every time there's a film with a woman peeing, it's directed by a man. It's, <laughs> there's never been a film where a woman goes to the bathroom on camera directed by a woman unless it's thematically absolutely relevant. It happens twice in this film, just as an aside. Yeah, that's so funny. Um, That's really funny. I feel like now that you put that in my head, I'm going to take note of it anytime it happens. You're welcome. That's that's really funny. Um, I love love this movie. Uh, It's it's one that I can rewatch and... um, and enjoy every time. And I find new little interesting things with it. And uh, one of the reasons is one of my favorites because it's so unconventional. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, same here. Um, it's, it's in my top 10 for Almodovar. Uh, mm. Definitely one of my favorite performances from Antonio Banderas and Victoria Briel. I highly encourage you to check out high heels. Um, yes. It's, I, you know, it's, it's, I would say it's kind of mid-tier Amadovar, but it's definitely very mm. fascinating. And she's brilliant in the film, fa- playing a very different character. I mean, it's totally, in some ways, like the opposite of what she's doing here. Um, I think Time Me Time Me Down is, uh, yeah, absolutely, it's endlessly interesting and enigmatic. Um, I've seen this movie a number of times, like I said, and I really kind of get different reads from it each time. Mm. Um, one thing I, I did want to bring up is that at the end of the film, the song that is playing is uh, in English called I Will Resist. Um, really? Yeah. Interesting. Um, and I don't have the full uh, translation of the lyrics, but I imagine it's thematically relevant to the film because why else would it be Featured so prominently in the last scene of the film with all I the mean, characteristics. I mean, he does it on purpose. He, yeah. he, nothing he does is by accident. Um, and uh, so I think that it's definitely. Um, also noticing the only person who doesn't really sing along as much is uh, Marina because maybe she can't. Resist. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, and not. In, I don't mean resist. She can't resist in the sense that like she's so insatiable in love, but that she doesn't know how to resist. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, I mean, again, I, I really think like I've, I've watched the ending of this movie on YouTube a number of times. Cause I just, I find mm-hmm. her expressions So like curious, you know, like, yeah, like you said, she goes through about a thousand emotions all at once, and it's a truly a terrific performance from from her and great direction from Almodovar. Um, lost, so Timothy Chalamet could run. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, I you know if you listeners have not seen this film, uh, I'm checking now. It should still be on. It's HBO on HBO Max. Max, yeah. So it's still there. Uh, highly recommend it. Um, ben, thank you so so much for suggesting it. I'm so glad I got to get, I got to have you on the podcast. Um, Anish, thank you so very much for yeah, having me. I appreciate uh, it. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, totally. Where can people find you online, and what are you up to these days? Um, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Twitter uh, Neb is Ben uh, Ben backwards Neb is Ben. Um, I have my own site, which is ice cream, the number four freaks.com. Um, that's a, uh, out of sight reference for anybody who keeps asking. 
Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, I just write about film and Oscar predictions and reviewing all sorts of movies I watch and trying my best. Uh, I recently did a uh, 20-year retrospective of 2001 and trying to figure out everything that I missed from that Oscar year. And then uh, uh, you can also find me at the Film Experience, um, where I contribute there. I write about all sorts of different kinds of stuff. Please come see me. Yes, definitely. Um, yeah, Ben is a great follow on Twitter. Uh, very, a lot of great opinions and so kind and lovely to see on the timeline every day. Um, so, yeah, th- yeah, thanks again. And you can find me on Twitter at TheManish89. That's T-H-E-M-A-N-I-S-H-8-9. Uh, also, follow the podcast at If How Do You. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast to help you find this show. Uh, please watch all the Elmer Dover movies on HBO Max. Okay, Treasure Trove. I believe there's nine of them there. I've seen all the two, which I will, I will finish the other two. Uh, both of which I own on DVD, but I'm still going to watch them on HBO Max. Um, and uh, yeah, huge fan of Almodovar. Glad he's getting a showcase on HBO Max. Glad to be talking about him with you on the podcast about this movie that I find so uh, so complicated, so deep and insightful and weird and creepy and sexy. All, all the adjectives. <laughs> um, so listeners, thanks for listening. Ben, thanks again. And have a great day. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. That was so much fun.